But then, everything suddenly changed after one man allegedly ate a bad soup in Wuhan. Corona crisis brought the world to stand still, and we thought once we overcome this, we would be done. Silly, silly humans. On the 25th of May 2020, an African-American citizen George Floyd was murdered by police officer Derek Chauvin, who did so by kneeling on his neck for nearly 9 minutes, following his arrest for allegedly using a $20 counterfeit bill. The accident was filmed by then a 17-year-old girl, Darnella Fraser, who just happened to be passing by. She probably had no idea that her video would lead to global protests against police brutality and abuse of police power, cementing into the protest vernacular the phrase I can't breathe. Welcome to our podcast, where we talk about topics that polarize the society today and affect the advertising and media industry. My name is Jake Bartanis, and I invite you to give a fuck about the matter of Black Lives Matter. Give a fuck. When we were discussing internally for the first time to talk about this specific topic in this specific episode with the team, the conversations were already somewhat emotional and heavily charged. Everybody has something to say about this. We will, however, not be talking about how the police is funded and where, who looted when, who is supported by the Democrats and who by the Republicans. What we decided to do here, in this episode of this very podcast, is to examine how such a strong and culturally relevant movement as BLM is changing the advertising and media industry and the way brands act overall. I believe that the world of entertainment has the responsibility to reflect and mirror what is going on in the society. Otherwise, we would fail to create the kind of work that resonates and that is relevant. When I think about what could be the macro issue, the macro problem of Black Lives Matter movement that we as an industry can contribute to solving, it's probably going to be the question of cultural appropriation and cultural representation. I think we here at Havas are quite lucky to work in a very open and diverse environment. When it comes to representation, and especially representation in advertising, for me personally, it is very important to promote diversity in every mood board or presentation that goes through my hands in the strategy department. I am happy that my boss supports this, and to be honest, our clients are requesting this more and more. It is still baby steps, but over time, hopefully, all these baby steps accumulate. And that is something that I really believe in. The theory that a bunch of incremental changes over time create a change worth observing. 
And as for the cultural appropriation, that's where something has been happening already in the industry. Give a fuck. So let's talk a little bit about Aunt Jemima. Aunt Jemima is a brand of pancake mix and other breakfast sort of ready meal items in the USA. It was founded in 1889 and it is owned by Quaker Oats Company, which is then again owned by PepsiCo. The problems with the brand lie in its name and logo. Aunt Jemima is a character and is depicted as a submissive, enslaved, mummy kind of archetype. Basically, a happy older slave singing plantation songs, being very domestic, and a caricature of a stereotype. The criticism claims that under the current brand narrative, African Americans were natural servants, and that only reinforces a racist ideology renouncing the reality of African American intellect. On the 17th of June, the company decided to change its image following the events with George Floyd and the BLM protests. Quaker Owns announced that Aunt Jemima will be retired and replaced with a new name and image in order to make progress towards racial equality. But not everybody liked it. Descendants of Aunt Jemima models Lillian Richard and Anna Short Harrington objected to the change. Vera Harris, a family historian for Richard's family, stated, I wish we would take a breath and not just get rid of everything, because good or bad, it is our history. And this opens much bigger conversation, reflecting on other brands such as Uncle Ben's, German Nengekus, Balzen's Africa Cookies, or even traditional Julius Meinl coffee logo. People are demanding change, and it seems that every day we find a new brand or product that is somehow considered to be offensive to somebody. Even though as humans we are quick to adapt, nobody really likes change. Especially when we talk about traditional products people grew up with, and have certain emotional and nostalgic attachments to. So how is all of this helping? And is it helping at all? Maybe it's just a temporary patch for the problem so that people don't look at the real issue. Which, in my opinion, is most probably not in what names some products have, but instead, it's deeply embedded in our governmental systems and in our hats. Let's talk about the case of Rosa Park versus Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks, with an S at the end, was an American activist during the civil rights movement, best known for her role in the Montgomery bus boycott that led to an end of segregation inside of the buses. She was an inspiring, fierce woman. How does this relate to the world of advertising, you ask? Maybe you know there is an ad agency in Paris called Rosa Park, without an S at the end. A boutique award-winning joint doing great work. They might or might not have chosen their name after being inspired by Rosa Parks herself, a strong, irreverent trailblazer. Values any company would like to live by. The criticism started under the lights of the recent Black Lives Matter events. Why the name? What does the agency know about Rosa Parks? What do they know about the black culture and how many black people actually work there? Somebody is yet again culturally exploiting legacy of black people for white people's gain. That was the overall sentiment. And as a result, the agency might need to change its name. 
let me now tell you about the Marni controversy. Marni is an Italian fashion house founded in 1994. They grew very famous in the off-the-beaten luxury track segment and became more mainstream after their H&M collaboration in 2012. In July this year, they ran a campaign on accessories set to celebrate black cultures across the world. The campaign featured a number of black models wearing ethnic jewelry, hats and so on. We can't have long conversations about the actual taste levels of the idea itself, but what I really want to talk about here is one particular image. The, for the lack of better word, showstopper piece. The image on which a black guy is kind of falling into the sea on a sandy beach, looking straight in the camera with hands above his head and a Marnie handbag awkwardly photoshop in front of him. And I kid you not, this guy's feet are chained. They are in chains. We can clearly see chains, again, on a black semi-naked guy's feet. I was lost for words. Clearly, no brand can be so racist that they would deliberately show us such images. How can this be? Why are there chains on his feet? I was reading more about this issue on an Instagram account called Diet Prada. It's a pretty good account holding many brands and people accountable for their wrongdoings, even though sometimes maybe it's a bit too woke for me. The true story behind this very huge fuck-up was later published on this account. The campaign was photographed by photographer Edgar Azavido from Salvador in Brazil. He was properly briefed, the production happened with a few product hiccups, and that was it. He submitted the images to Marnie and never heard from them again until the campaign went live. Of course, he was beyond surprised to see how his work was presented in the end without any prior cooperation and conversation. The mentioned image with a black man in chains thus finds a complete explanation. On the 3rd of August 2020, Iggy Aiden, a journalist, asks Edgar. Iggy says, Edgar, now let's go straight to the point. In relation to all the negative reactions on social media, most of them were related to the image of chained feet. What was that exactly? Did you literally chain the model's feet? And Edgar Azevedo answers, Never. That would never be my intention. My work goes against it all. In this image specifically, I position a model on top of a concrete pillar, where there are some security restraints from a wall on the beach, all to make it more harmonic. The image would be cutted. There is no way the chains would be present on the image. The issue was that they didn't send me the images for approval beforehand. I was completely off from this process. So there you have it. The issue is not so much about some vicious racial agenda as it is about incompetent and ignorant management in Marnie. Somebody working there is so unaware, so much in his or her own little bubble, that they regard a black man in chains as something to just simply run in a global advertising campaign without any questioning at all whatsoever. Which brings me to the point and to the takeaway of this story really. And that is that companies are hopefully not as racist as we think, but they do have an ever-present ignorance in decision-making positions. When instead of critically examining something, people just go with it, with whatever there is, available and easy. So it's really more about being lazy, or maybe it is about losing the love for your job. 
I really don't believe that it's somebody's vicious plan to pursue racial stereotype from slavery times. It is forgetting to crop an image because we fail to do our work right. Not even mentioning that Edgar was allegedly paid $1,200 for his work for Marnie. $1,200 is how much Marnie paid him, a company which closed 2019 with a turnaround of 170 million euros. Give a fuck. The more I was thinking about this issue, the more I was realizing that maybe I just really don't get it. Maybe we just really don't get it. Each and every one of us live in their own private bubble, and we are oblivious to the world that's happening outside. So, we wanted to speak to somebody who can really take us out of our bubble. Somebody who can really enlighten us on this issue. So, we decided to speak to an organization called Together We Push. Together We Push is some kind of a BLM subsidiary here in Dusseldorf in Germany. They are organizing events, protests and demonstrations to fight racial inequality everywhere. One of their leaders, called Coffee, was nice enough to find time and answer some of our questions. With Coffee we talked about everything. We talked about the goals and the missions of Together We Push. We talked about the power of social media and online activism. We talked about what the brands are doing right, what they are doing wrong and what can they do even better. And ultimately we talked about how can we become the role models for the next generations. Here is my good friend, co-host of this podcast and colleague Sophie Tome talking to Coffee from the organization Together We Push. Thank you, Sophie. Thank you for uh, agreeing to do this interview with us. And um, we reached out to you because you founded this co collective Together We Push. And can you explain to us why did you create it? Um, I think the goal, the main goal for Together We Push is to educate. That's the first thing. Um, to bring and support and push black culture, to express culture itself in general, and to practice independency and self-value. And if I can explain that, um, to build culture is one thing, to build independency and self-value is to know who you are, what you can do, and what is possible for you in Germany. So um, the culture aspect, we have so many cultures in Germany. Of course, black culture is one of the main topics but we got Turkish people, we got Arabs, we got so many people from different cultures. So the goal is to unite the culture. The goal is to be aware of the culture that we have in Germany. And the goal is to bring awareness and self-independence to the youth that are growing in Germany so that they can also create and be independent. So I think it's a whole package of the lives that they want to really bring here in Germany and this love, if I could say this. So let's talk about social media. Um, due to your current situation with COVID, you were forced to postpone one of the physical events you were planning this month until further notice. Um, how do you think that social media con can compensate or do you think social media can compensate at all? Do you need the physical events to push it further or do you think uh, social media can also play an important role? Um, the role social media played in the BLM um, in general, I would say, um, 
it played on one another in a good role because people got more awareness. People were like in their face, they saw on social media what was going on. Let me correct this. These things has been going since four or five hundred years. So it's nothing new. But the fact that it was brought to light again, the awareness was made for people to realize, A, there, there is a discrimination going on. A, we have to fight for some people. A, there are some things that are not right. I think that was the good thing about social media because I think everyone heard about the BLM. Like everyone, every youth who was kind of active on Insta heard about the BLM. But the negative side is social media stays social media. You know, it comes quick and goes fast. So what I mean by that is BLM came nice, social media, everybody was talking about it, but it also turned as a hype thing. Somehow for some, not for everybody, for some, and it just went like now is a silence. So this is what I mean. It came like hush, but it went like, you know, like a ghost, like a teeth running around. So I believe there are positive and negative sides, but in general, we can use both of them to make a progress. Cause what we have to understand is we live in 2020 now, a world of technology. So no matter what, social media we have to use it more to bring more awareness of course there are people who are doing it but i believe we can specifically um, address some issues and make it more clearer so that it doesn't turn to a hype so that people don't do it just because his friend is doing it but people will do it rather because they understand and they know it's their duty because they're living in this country. So I believe it's just a form of awareness what we have to bring to social media. Social media can always be a good thing is the way you present it out. So it's a half and half, would I say, but at the end of the day, it helps us because we the social media now was not the social media 20 years ago. That's a good point. So when I address you in the next couple of questions as you, it's not you personally, but you as a community Black Lives Matter uh, uh, or like uh, together we push in general. So when I ask you, do you think it's uh, it's hard to communicate this point of positivity that you raised across social media where there's so much polarized content or fake news or so much hate? Did you experience that um, with your community? Um. I would say yes, it's kind of, it's it's hard because what the one thing is um, because so much is going on social media, the truth is always hard to receive. So um, of course everybody knows racism exists, but of course it's kind of hard for people to do it because there are so many distractions going on the social media. It will be more easier if everybody did the same thing, right? But it ain't possible because everybody thinks different. So social media is a platform where everybody can express different. So it's even if you got the truth, it's hard to fight with the truth for everybody to see. So you keep it constantly. That makes it, it's going to make it one day easier. Now it's hard because there's so much fake news going on. There's so much things going on that's not true. The media is trying to shift our brain to US, 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 but we got our own struggles down here. So, and yeah, and as a matter of that, um, I believe it's easier than we think sometimes on other way it's hard but it's easier than we think if we just accept it 
And I also think that's a part of your um, beliefs uh, with Together We Push that you keep pushing no matter if it's a hype or if it's not hyped or it's on social media or not. Like, like you said, keep it coming constantly and talk about it constantly. Of course, uh, one thing I have to say, like, um, for every, uh, I'm talking about my black people, so for every black person out there in Germany, um, we don't have even have a choice to say, um, um, I'm not following the hype. We're not following the hype because we're black. So, it, it, like, we don't even have to think, like, oh, it's a hype thing. Bro, because it's our life, it's the reality. So, that's why I get so much disappointed when it turns to hype. Uh, for some people that I don't expect. So I believe um, this form of hype is a hype thing, shouldn't even be a topic because it's a realistic base. It's proven that it exists over 500 years. So how can such a thing be a hype? So to my existence and to my understanding, I believe um, or for TBP, for us is a lifestyle because we know it's the thing that we're going through daily. It's not like, okay, Black Lives Matter came, so now we are talking. No, like if you follow what I do, I've been talking about the culture since last year. I've been talking to my black community since last year. So it's not about like what happened to George Floyd sparked me to do it. No, I already did it last year. So for me, it's like um, it's something that I wish like every black person, every person in this country will be aware of. Rather to think then, oh, uh, is it a hype? Because if something's realistically uh, happening every day, The word hype doesn't fit. I feel personally, and I want to hear your opinion about it, that representation matters everywhere and also in ads. How do you feel about representation of people of color or black people in advertising? In advertising? <laughs> okay. If I can... <laughs> there is a... Can I go a little bit deep into here? And in what sure. you told me? Okay, so... I understand the whole motive of, um, okay, black culture is struggling right now. So if a Nike or Puma agency feels like, okay, now we have to do something for black people. Oh, let me um, employ this model. She's black for a job, for a gig in Abu Dhabi or Dubai for a month. So it's cool. It's nice for a teenager, but not for a grown man or a grown woman because it doesn't really help. But they, like, not everybody, I know some are really trying to help, but it doesn't really solve the problem because the problem is not give me a job or give me a penny. The problem is let me build a foundation. That's the problem. I don't want, to be, I don't want a gig because you might give me a gig now and next year it's over because there is no hype about Black Lives Matter. So there's a misconfusion and it's not only like about the people uh, who do advertising is about the artists too we as artists we have to realize what really helps i know if people want to support help you is nice but the main goal like to really um have a progress is not on a one-day job with nike or puma so you're saying casting choices are all good and fine and should go on and um, we should be more inclusive and diverse in what we see in the media but to get real ch like to change something real in society and to make meaningful change we have to lay a foundation 
for black culture to exist, to have a voice and to get more black people or people of color into executive roles. That's what I'm getting from you to, to be in the place to decide stuff, to be the decision maker and not only to be like this gig where you get like money for one gig and uh, you have this model job, which is great, but you want to get brothers and sisters into like this, um, the ex executive roles where they have um, the power to actually change things. Yes, they are where they have the power to actually change things, uh, to actually control things or really bring their opinions in the production. Because yeah. I feel like we sometimes just used we use for something. Of course, they book us, is, but it's still their intention. It's what they want. So that's why you have to smile now. Mm -hmm. That's why you have to do this now. You know, even though if you don't like it, you're going to do it because you need the money. And those things have to stop. Yeah. I understand if, somebody, if the kids are young and they need the experience, you do those kinds of jobs because you need experience. But after some time, you need to build your own. Mm -hmm. So that's why I say if the generation now who are 16, 17, do those gigs i'm not mad at them i'm not mad at them because i'll do the same if i'm 17 and nike gave me a job i'm happy it's nike come on but it's us we have we are grown out of we are grown so we cannot just be happy of a nike job we pass it we move on so we have to create a new space so the young generation when they are 25 or 24 oh okay now i have to work on my own now i have to build my own now i know it's about me i have to those night jobs when i was 18 19 was nice but there is not all i'm in germany i have rights and i can build something thank you so much thank you for being so open and honest with us and uh, talking about all these different topics no problem god bless you thank you bob tvp <laughs> <laughs>
for those employees. You know what I mean? I think one of the things that's been interesting over the last few years um, in the business for me is that, you know, I've been in this business, what, 15, 16, 17 years, something in that range. And, and so um, a bulk of my career was existing in, a, in spaces where I was the only black person in those spaces for, for a lot of those, those jobs. And it never really mattered to me, you know what I mean? It's like I realized like quickly that, that the work was the great equalizer for me, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so race never really bugged me so much. I just sort of took it as like, oh shit, that's kind of the way it is. Um, I think what's been interesting with sort of the younger culture coming up and where, where there has been a little bit more attention paid to DNI is within agency spaces like Havas, you know, you're starting to see these like communities build up internally where, you know, sometimes you, you, you'll get a, a group of employees, man, who kind of um, sit in a room together and be a sounding board for each other, you know what I mean? And, and kind of be a, a bit of a support thing um, internally, which is which is fantastic. And, and trying to get a sense of like, you know, people have questions about what should I do? What shouldn't I do? Why is this happening? Or I don't understand this. Is it racial? Is it not racial? You know what I mean? Um, so, so I think in terms of that, both both outwardly in terms of both recruitment and you know support internally, it's it's pretty pretty solid. But I think John, the uh, the first the Black at Work was created a few years back, initially, right? When was that exactly? Yeah, I think it was. Um, I know. I want to say roughly around two. I would say in the window of two to three years ago. And do you think you have received any or enough recognition actually for this kind of work? For Black at Work was some of the some of the best work I thought. So that that's a really insightful, great human truth, a great idea. Um, and um, I remember talking to the to the people that were here at the time who were running it. I said we need to get this in can. And it was one of, I was I was trying to get it at the, for this year as an initiative in the, in the cafe as a as a, a participation that you have to go through you know you could go and experience the maze because it was one of the one of the best examples i think of, of all the things blake's talked about and, and and i and i teed off but like i do think that um i don't think it's gotten enough recognition no so to, to, to answer your question in a long-winded way no i think it should have a lot more recognition i think what we're going to do next um blake and the team and and I'll throw myself in there as well. We we had some really great ideas in the past, you know, like this last year that we couldn't get fully, that couldn't fully get um, made that I want to revisit that are, that are truly amazing. And um, so there's there's a lot more runway there to to do to do more and to get hopefully um, we'll get more recognition in the future. Right. I mean, I think the the maze one especially could have been very impactful. I remember watching again the case video, and there was one bit that said, "Don't touch my hair," and I just instantly remembered when when I was growing up, and I grew up in Slovakia. So there is honestly, I think like five black people in Slovakia right now, and one of them was in my school, and he had you know nice big afro, and everybody was coming to him like, "Oh my god, it's so cool! Can I touch it? Can I touch it? Just just let's touch it." And it, at some point he became upset. Clearly, you don't want everybody touching her, but you don't really realize it as a kid when, when you have just one black guy in, in all of the high school. Uh, it's perceived cool, but on the same hand, we don't really understand that well, he was being quite patronized. 
you can't touch a black man's fro like that, man. That's. I mean, that's girls for a fight, dog kid. We based this episode of the podcast on the whole thing that us as people that work in creative industry, in media and advertising, we should somehow always, you know, we have to reflect the society. We have to like answer to what is going on. We have to answer to the needs and the and the, all the changes. What do you think agencies or creative agencies or ad agencies should do? Take the message of Black at Work further. Our industry to be so progressive with ideas and creativity is is so behind the times in, in so many ways. Um, I think to it's a really tricky thing because more more needs to be done, more needs more initiatives need to happen. Um, there needs to be a renaissance in it. But I, I will say we're we're a little bit in an incubated in a, in a really nice space. That Havas is not a big holding company, but the ones that are beholden to these holding co- big giant holding companies are have a hard time because it's the bottom line it's so much there's so much you know business at stake that you know they they put platforms over people at times and i think you know it's always about people people for i think it should be always be about people you know it's like i, I don't think that the advertising industry at large does it. it there just needs to be a lot a lot of reform happen and I'm not to say, but that's for sure. I can't tell you what 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 Droga and Accenture should do or IPG or whatever. I just know they it's it's they they're facing the same problems that that everyone is, um, and they're not problems. They're they're things to overcome and to and to reform. Um, but their their tasks, their 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 obstacles to get there are are monumental and huge. Then probably what what the, like the private privately held companies and and you know like our network you know and some other some other smaller networks we can be a little bit more nimble and quick and make and take action and um, and we should and we are. Do you think or do you have any opinion or maybe do you think this is just a bandaid of all you know how all these big ad agencies and huge networks but also giant corporations are suddenly naming chief diversity officers is it going to solve something is is that good or is it kind of like a pr stunt because i was just thinking is this really just do we need to hire a person that is just whose single job is to control that we have diverse environment it should somehow come in naturally shouldn't it uh what what, what is your take on that oh man i <sighs> You know, this is speaking as a as a white man. This industry, I, you know, to, to parlay a little bit, tag on to what Blake was saying about talent. Just for one minute, just remove race and color and 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 sexuality, right? If 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 you put someone in a position that is not that does not have the talent to do it, you have to ask the question why you're doing it. For one. And would you do that? Would you do that for anything, for the work or for account or strategy? And 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 the I question the motivation of it. It's not me to judge. I just say, well, are you doing that as a self-serving fulfillment that you are ticking a box, as opposed to actually empowering this person to make change or do something? There's there's a big difference, you know. And it's like, I think. I mean, you hit on something really sensitive for me because 
even beyond the 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 BLM and uh, movement and everything else, it's always bugged me that 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 agencies in our in our industry they'll they'll make up they'll make up roles and positions just to fill just to tick a box because they'll, they'll think it serves either themselves or the company better as opposed to actually doing what's right for what we really do is the work you know I mean we really make creative ideas people should come to an advertising agency of any kind for creative ideas and solutions you know and if part of the creative ideas and solutions is is blowing up your way that you staff and approach race color gender sexuality then 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 great do it but but actually make it meaningful to where to where that person can actually succeed i think the intention is 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 good um it's some of it's some of it to tick a box probably i know a lot of those people who are getting hired in those positions and i know the intention of those people are is real you know what i mean um they want to help they genuinely want to do whatever they can to help move the needle um and so in that regards particularly as it pertains to the individuals i know they really want to feel like they they they're accepting those positions with the intention of 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 figuring it out we'll see what happens i mean i do think i do think as a collective agency one thing that i'm seeing is is that you know every agency's trying to create a solution right as well intentioned as they are all of these sort of splintered um initiatives some will work some won't but i think it's worth the collective industry's time and effort money resources um against the idea of recruitment retention so forth and so on you know particularly with recruitment i mean like but you see programs like that right where science technology engineering uh and math it are starting to reach those kids at like the middle school level with stem and steam programs where it becomes part of curriculum i think a collective effort in advertising to reach minorities with the exposure of that industry earlier um to build out curriculum that's in schools and that kind of thing i think that's like top down industry leadership that's not the, the the role of one agency you know what i mean i think that's the role of the industry to start to to create that level of inertia in the next generation of of advertising practitioners i think i think that's the collective energy of all of us under under one banner to try to make that happen and like a in like a big way man you know that's what i was going to add to that just say and i think people see through the bullshit you know like if we were to do a chief diversity officer it would make sense cuz we had we've had a cultural department for years right it would make total sense you would look at that and go okay they're legit they're amping it up and they're doing but if you look out in your in your an agency and you are all one color and and you say we're going to go now we're going to do a chief diversity officer that person is got is going to be doomed to fail because they're they're just it's just not in the culture systemically they're not already doing things and you know and I couldn't agree more with Blake's last uh last last bit you know teaching and 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 going down to that fundamental level is is 
is crucial. Give a fuck. So, to wrap up this episode, what is the learning from all of this? What can we as people in advertising, marketing communications and other creative industries do to be on the right side of the history? Well, that is a million dollar question now, isn't it? You can never really please everybody. Seems like every morning we wake up, we are ready to hate something. We hate meat eaters for being immoral, or we hate vegans for being too annoying. Cancel culture of everyday Twitter is ready to take it to the max. It really all comes down to the representation of talent in our workplace. As we could see in the Black at Work initiative, the problem is real. As long as there are mainly white people sitting at the decision table, the work we create runs the risk to become colorblind. Whether behind the camera or in front of it, there is a lack of diversity in representation in filmmaking and advertising. In 2017, people of color were still underrepresented in movies, with only 4.8% of Asian characters, 6.2% of Hispanic characters, and 12.1% of black characters. Good news is that there are organizations making advertising and entertainment industry better. Groups like Free to Work, Change the Lens, or One School are all curated talent discovery platforms focusing on underrepresented creators. Now, we don't have to necessarily go all-in adhering to overhyped online liberal wokeness, but we can still work with integrity, making sure the mood boards and campaigns we create represent the people who are truly buying the products we advertise. And if something doesn't quite look right, take time to think twice. Maybe somebody just forgot to crop the picture, because they simply didn't know better. And so, that was it. That was our episode. First of all, I want to thank my co-worker Sophie Tome for taking time to help me with this episode. I want to thank Kofi from the organization Together We Push. I want to thank John and Blake from Hava Chicago for taking time and talking to us. Please leave us a feedback at giveafuck.net so we can get better and find out more about our host agency Havas Dusseldorf at meaningfulbrands.com. And until next time, keep giving a fuck.
fuck. Give a fuck.